After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that this was dis- heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Jerusalem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. If it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. Uh, that's what they tell you if you go to Canada uh, and if you see a bear. Uh, depending on the colour of the bear, that changes how you're meant to uh, react if you come across their path. Black bears, I'm told, are really just after an easy meal and they'll eat you. Uh, so what you need to do is uh, fight back a little bit. If they're black, fight back. Uh, show them that you're not an easy meal and uh, that you're, they're in for a tough time. And they're not as big, so you can kind of get that message across and maybe get away. Brown bears are really big. Think Kodiak bears, grizzly bears. Uh, there's not a lot you can do against a brown bear. Uh, so, but conveniently, they don't want to eat you. They're into berries. Stuff like that. <laughs> but they are super territorial, so if you come across one, uh, it's going to want to kill you. Uh, so the thing to do is to lay down if it's brown, you lay down. And show it that you're not a threat, 
and if you're lucky, it'll just walk off. Polar bears are a different story. Uh, they say that if you're within sight of a polar bear, you're too close. Uh, so the full saying is, if it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. If it's white, good night. <laughs> now what does that what does all that have to do with Matthew chapter 2 uh, well here at the start of Matthew uh, we're just in chapter 2 he's introducing uh, the Messiah God's King and the arrival of God's King creates a crisis it's like meeting a bear because you have to decide how you're going to react how will you react to God's King will you fight back or will you lay down? Will you fight back or will you lay down? Will you acknowledge who is the most uh, powerful in that uh, relationship? Uh, this chapter, Matthew chapter 2, is organised geographically. It's around those three places, Bethlehem, Egypt and Nazareth. And it's full of Old Testament quotes and pictures that revolve around those three places. And Matthew wants to show us how all of Israel's history is pointing towards the coming of Jesus. And so what we're going to do tonight is step through those three places, uh, Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth. And we're going to see uh, Matthew show us a new David from Bethlehem, a new Moses from Egypt, and a different Messiah from Nazareth. Okay. There are two points. Uh, firstly, a new David from Bethlehem. Uh, right at the start of this story, you see that this is no ordinary child. He's announced by a star, and foreign dignitaries uh, travel vast distances to come and pay homage to him. Uh, like when Prince George was born, and uh, you know all of the tabloids have Prince George everywhere, and his commemorative stamps and plates and everything. This is a big deal. It's of cosmic significance. And if you know your Old Testament uh, the way that Matthew's readers did, you recognise uh, that Matthew is drawing attention to how Jesus' arrival uh, fulfills all the promises and patterns of the Old Testament, all through Israel's history. Uh, the promises and patterns there find their fulfilment in Jesus. And so uh, we know from the Old Testament that Bethlehem was King David's town. And so for Jesus to be the Messiah, uh, he had to be born there, in Bethlehem. And so Matthew quotes Micah chapter 5, verse 2 there, in uh, verse 6. Uh, but he, he actually mashes that point up with another quote from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. You don't have to turn it up, you can just uh, listen as I read them out. This is Samuel speaking to King David. He says to David, in the past, while Saul was king over us, uh, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. And Matthew inserts that quote uh, into the one about Bethlehem. And he's doing it on purpose. He's doing it so we see something about uh, who Jesus will be. Uh, he's the new David from Bethlehem, just as David, David was going to shepherd God's people, Jesus is going to do the same thing. Uh, he's not just a good man, he's not just an impressive teacher, he's God's king. 
the one that God always had in mind to shepherd his people. Now, I don't know what pops into your mind when uh, you hear that Jesus is like a shepherd, uh, whether that's some pastoralist or some kindly man with a, a crook. Uh, in the Bible, it's kind of a mix. It's a mix of uh, tender, personal care. Shepherds didn't have thousands of sheep. They, they knew their sheep. Uh, but it's also a picture of powerful protection. The shepherd was the one who called upon to kill uh, wolves who came upon the flock to actually put themselves in harm's way for the sake of the sheep and then to lead them to a place of food and drink, of abundance. And that's the picture that Matthew wants to give us of Jesus. Jesus as king is going to be a shepherd, one who protects his people, defeats their enemies, and leads them to a place of abundant blessing. That's what Jesus will be like. And the visit of the Magi uh, tells us about what Jesus will be like as well. Uh, The history of Israel, if you go back, uh, starts with promises made to Abraham. And the promise is that all peoples of the earth will be blessed uh, through Abraham, through his descendants. And so as you go through the Old Testament, there's this expectation that uh, from God's people uh, will go out this blessing to the whole world, the blessing of knowing God and living under his good rule. Uh, But it's not just that the nations would be blessed uh, by God's people, but that the nations would uh, recognise that blessing, recognise the brilliance of God's people and bring their tribute into them. Bring their tribute in. Uh, Politicians still do this a bit. When uh, John Howard visited George Bush in the White House, Uh, He took him a fishing rod, a drysbone coat, and a cattleman's hat. Uh, Now, that's kind of what they do. They bring baskets of fruit and uh, things from their country. And partly that's to to suck up when politicians do it, but partly it's a recognition, it's a tribute uh, brought to a king. And you see that in the Old Testament as well. Uh, To David's son, King Solomon. We'll get there in a few weeks as we read through 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 10. the Queen of Sheba, which is one day Ethiopia, uh, the Queen of Sheba uh, comes up to visit King Solomon to hear his wisdom, to be blessed by the wisdom of God through God's King Solomon. And this is what it says in uh, 1 Kings 10. It says that she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. It's a foreign queen bringing gold and spices for Israel's king. And that's exactly what the Magi are doing here. They are come bearing gifts for Israel's new king, Jesus. And when the Magi arrive, they react to God's king by laying down. This is no ordinary child seen the king's star, uh, they've travelled all this way, and they know that this is God's work to bring this king into the world. And literally it says, uh, falling, they worshipped him. They lay themselves down and they bring their gifts to Jesus. That's how they react when they see God's king. 
And actually, most of us, I think, here tonight fall into that category. The category of foreigners blessed by God's King. King Jesus has brought forgiveness, reconciliation with God, a new life right with God. And the only response, the right reaction to that, is worship. To see God's King and to bow down and worship Him. The Magi are a picture of uh, how we ought to respond when we see God's King, to bring our treasures before Him and offer everything to Him. That's what the whole world will do one day, as they bring their, their songs and their art and all of their treasure before the Lord Jesus. How will you react to God's King? He's a new David from Bethlehem. The king to whom everyone will bring uh, their worship and their treasure. When they meet him, the Magi lay down. But too many fight back. And that's the story of Herod. Uh, In the next section we see a new Moses from Egypt. (laughs) As soon as the Magi appear, uh, Herod hears the news and starts plotting against uh, this rival. How can I get rid of him? If there's another king, how can I get rid of him so I can do it? And we know from history that that really checks out with what Herod was like. Herod was a bad guy. Uh, Towards the end of his reign, he killed his three eldest sons uh, because he thought they were plotting to overthrow him. He was this cruel, insecure tyrant. This was totally typical. But Herod doesn't know who's been here. He he thinks he's fighting a black bear, that somehow crashing about will be able to uh, beat him off. But this isn't some kind of human uprising. This is God doing this. And even Herod in all his evil plotting can't do anything. Even that gets subverted by God for his own purposes. Uh, Gamers would say he's going to get wrecked. I've never said that word out loud before. Um, So, can somebody tell me if I've used it in the right context? Or if I've something rude or anything like that? But Herod is going to get wrecked. He does not know who he's dealing with. Just like the star guided the Magi in, uh, God now uses angels and dreams to direct the action. He sends the Magi home by another route and he warns Joseph to flee uh, down to Egypt. Verse 13. And again, God is directing all of this uh, to show us what his king will be like. And again, he's following patterns set in the Old Testament so we can understand who Jesus is and what he's like. Uh, so it's showing us that Jesus is like a new Moses. Uh, when Herod plans to kill uh, the children of Bethlehem, uh, Matthew wants us to think back to the time of Moses uh, in Egypt. If you know the story, the Israelites were living in Egypt and under an evil king, much like Herod, uh, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was afraid of the Hebrews. And so Pharaoh planned uh, to wipe out all of the newborn babies of the Israelites. But what does God do then? 
Well, he saves one man, uh, the future leader of his people. He saves Moses. Uh, and uh, so Matthew is pointing us towards uh, Jesus being like Moses. In fact, later in his life, uh, Moses has to flee to Midian. And then in Exodus uh, 4, verse 19, uh, this is what it says. Uh, now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. Which is exactly what God tells Joseph in verse 20. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. See, Jesus follows the pattern of Moses. Just like Moses uh, saved God's people from slavery in Egypt, uh, chapter 1 has already told us in Matthew that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Uh, He's the leader who escapes death as a child from under the nose of an evil king and goes on to bring God's people into freedom and blessing. He's a new Moses. And Herod can't do anything about it. God is completely in control. And that ought to be a great comfort to us. Uh, We hear about terror attacks uh, in France, in Brussels, in Turkey. Uh, Hear about uh, Christianity slipping out of our society. Uh, The census is on Tuesday night and um, it may be that it turns out that the no religion count is is much higher here in Australia. How does that make you feel? Like, it can feel like God's lost control. Like, how is this all working out? But even those things, even the evil, can't derail God's plans. I think that's why Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31 uh, there in uh, that passage. Down in verse 18. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a slightly strange quote from Matthew because uh, actually it's talking about the exile. Uh, Rachel's physical children weren't actually killed. Uh, what it's saying is it's, it's poetry. It's describing Rachel's uh, descendants great-great-great-grandchildren being lost in the exile. But I think uh, what that quote does is is a couple of things. Uh, Firstly, it recognises the horror of what's just happened with these children in Bethlehem being slaughtered. This isn't being endorsed. This is... It's evil. And this quote just tells us that the right response is mourning an awful thing. But secondly, it points to the fact that evil doesn't undermine God's plans. The exile to Babylon didn't ruin God's plans. In fact, God always intended to use that evil for his own purposes, to do good to his people. And it's the same thing here. Even uh, through Herod's brutality, uh, God brings the Saviour, the one who will ultimately defeat him evil. And you see the same thing in verse 15. Uh, He quotes Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Now this is the quote from Hosea. 
Uh, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And Matthew uh, says that quote is, is like Jesus too. And again, it's a strange one, uh, because in Hosea he's talking about the whole nation of Israel coming up out of uh, Egypt in the Exodus. And so Matthew takes that idea and says, that's just like Jesus too. Uh, in a different way, he came up out of Egypt as well. Uh, but God is doing a similar thing. Because he's like a new Moses. Uh, just like Moses, Jesus is the leader of God's people. Uh, coming up out of Egypt into the land. Forming a new people of God. Uh, bringing uh, all of God's people to a new place. A new place of relationship with God. Uh, so as you can as we move through the story, you see that Matthew is showing us that Jesus is, is like David. It's like David from Bethlehem, a new king to bless the nations. And he's like a new Moses coming up out of Egypt to form a new people of God, full of the blessings of God. Uh, but finally, uh, the last location is Nazareth. And he shows us a different life from Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth is the odd place out here, uh, because Nazareth is not a kingly town. When Barack Obama ran for president eight years ago, I guess now, his opponents used his upbringing against him. Yes, he was born in Hawaii, but his dad was from Kenya, and he grew up in Indonesia. Uh, so that made him suspect. How can he be president? Uh, if uh, he was from the wrong place. Uh, that was a knock on him by his opponents. And Nazareth was like that. It's like Hicksville. Uh, just out of the way. Part of the nation of Israel that had been wiped out by the exile. And it was kind of up north, cut off from the real Israel down south. And so Matthew needs to explain how it is that the Messiah ended up coming from Nazareth of all places. And again, at a service level, that's uh, because of Herod's son. And the angel directs Joseph not to uh, stay in the south, but to go up to Nazareth. But it's also to fulfill another Old Testament picture. Uh, so there, uh, verse 23, this is how it finishes. Uh, so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, again, if you know your Old Testament... That is a tricky quote, mostly because it doesn't say that anywhere in the Old Testament. Uh, so, there's a few different options um, that people have come up with uh, that include a bit of a play on words with some Hebrew terms to do with the Messiah. But notice that Matthew doesn't actually say that this is a quote. He says that this is what was said through the prophets, plural. That is, that all of the prophets in some way point towards this that he will be called a Nazarene. And I think he's, he's pointing to something bigger. That somehow the Messiah would look unimpressive. He's a different Messiah from Nazareth. Because to call someone a Nazarene was actually an insult. Ah, oh, you stupid Nazarene. Like, that's, that's a way of just writing someone off. Um, a bit like the way that we would call someone like a country bumpkin. Um, but, you know, with more venom. Uh, and Nazarene was unimpressive, unclean. Uh, 
It's like saying, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a nobody. Uh, but if you look back at the prophets, that's actually something that is said about how God would come in and save his people through someone who looked unimpressive. I'll read a bit from Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, this is what Isaiah says about the one that God will send for the sake of his people. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in a low esteem. Jesus is not the kind of Messiah that they have in mind because he's, he's nothing. He's, he's humble. He's unimpressive. But that's on purpose. That's what he's like. He comes to take on the shame and the rejection to suffer, to save God's people. And that's how he's going to bring God's blessing. That's how he's going to protect God's people. That's how he'll restart the people of God and be their shepherd. That's how he's going to be the new David and the new Moses through his own humiliation and his own sacrifice. Because they'll call him a Nazarene and they'll mean it as a put down. Because he's a nothing, a nobody. But in fact, that is how God is going to rescue his people through that different kind of Messiah from Nazareth. And that's what makes him worth lying down for. That's what makes him a king, worth lying down for. It's not just that he's a powerful king who you must submit to. He's worth submitting to as well. It's not just that it's smart to lay down before God's king, because you can't beat him any other way. You know, Herod was an idiot. To, to think that you can go head to head with God and come out okay. What was he thinking? But it's not just that you must submit to him because he's so powerful. He's also worthy of our laying down our lives for him. That's a struggle that I have as a parent. I, I kind of feel it, that I don't just want to enforce behaviour because I'm in charge. I want to be worthy of being listened to. I want my children to, res to respect me. I want to be someone that my children will respect. Or how would it be if, say, the Australian government, uh, imagine if they were worthy of our taxes. Uh, not just that they're powerful and can force us to comply, but if they were doing such a good job that we just thought, I want to give you more of my money uh, because you're, just, you're really so good. But Jesus is that. It's not just that he's so powerful that he can enforce compliance. He's not just a powerful king. He's a worthy king. King who comes in humility and gives himself for us, worthy of our worship and worthy of all our treasures, laying our very selves down before him. 
So is that us? Is that something that we do? Have you decided how you will react to God's King? Will you fight back, thinking that He's a rival, someone who will rule your life instead of you, and you need to fight against that? Or have you seen that He is worthy of submitting your life to, worthy of laying down your treasures and your very self? Or will you fall down like the magi, bring your peace and worship? Him?